Welcome back. We just were able to make contact with our guest today, so I didn't waste more time with the music. And we're we're back in the studio. Um, uh, you are listening to My Life in a Suitcase. This is Radio UCC ninety eight point three FM. And today with me on a phone call is Murray Mulholland. She is originally from Belfast, and she is the CEO of West Cork Beacon, which is a domestic and sexual violence support service in West Cork. This organization was established over 20 years ago and the organization has grown under Marie's guidance and expanded its services to women, children and young people living with domestic abuse and now recently they have introduced a new sexual violence community support service for women, men and for young people 40 years and over. So without wasting time, let's continue our let, let's start our, our interview hi marie how are you hi emilisa i'm so sorry for the delay and getting back to you no problem at all today. Yeah. <laughs> no problem at all we know you're very you're you're very busy yeah, but not too busy that I can't talk to you, Manisa. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show. We really, really appreciate that. So I'm not going to waste, you know, like any time and we'll just directly go at it. So, um, Marie, um, how did it all begin? How did West Cork Beacon start it? Well, it's, I've been here 12 years out of the over 20 years that it's been here. And it was very much a community initiative. Um, my understanding, I've met some of the original founders and it was local women who realized that there was an issue and that there was no supports for women who were experiencing domestic abuse. And they came together. It was a women's group. They came together. Um, and they did it on a voluntary basis for a little while. And then they got some funding. Um, and they had a part-time worker. And then they got an office. And, and basically, it's like, you know, there's little organic steps one by one. And they grow incrementally until eventually they had got themselves a a service with a couple of uh, workers, um, some admin, and when I took over in 2012, it was it was almost a part-time service. It was there was like two staff, and there was um, one day a week we had, there was a helpline, um, oh. and now we're five days a week. The helpline is nine to five every day. We have uh, a complement of six six actual support staff, two admin staff. Um, and we have a lot of other kind of projects as well. So, for instance, we have a safe house for anyone who's at risk of home homelessness because of domestic abuse. Um, mm. We have a special project for children who have witnessed or experienced domestic abuse in the home and who have been negatively impacted on it um, by it. So we have a therapeutic support program for them. We work with mum and then we have special child therapists who are, they don't work for us, we pay them, but they, they, they work specifically with the children. They give the children a safe space in which to talk about their experiences. Um, we sometimes do support groups mm -hmm. so for women who have exited domestic violence and are now kind of thinking, okay, what do I do next? How do I put my life together? How do I go forward from here as a single parent? So we would do support support work with them. And then in terms of women who ring us who are in crisis, we provide safety planning. We do court accompaniment. We take yeah. them. If they decide that they want to go to court for protection orders, we will go to court, court with them. We'll accompany them on that whole journey because it's very nerve-wracking and it's very anxiety-making. But it's to get the orders that they need to stay safe at home. Um, we'll go to the guard with them when they make their statements. 
will negotiate with the courts, you know, the clerk services um, uh, around that as well. And we provide, like, we were, we're here, we'll, we'll see a woman one-to-one. We have a little, lovely little client room. She wants to just come and talk. And, and for many women, it's a, it's about saying it for the first time, that this is what's going on in their lives, and, and having the courage to tell somebody about that. And so what we do, the most important thing we do, is to listen, to listen without judgment, and to let that woman know that we believe her. That's the most important thing we can do. And then last, uh, last autumn, just um, at the end of the autumn there, we launched our new sexual violence service, and that's for women and men, and for young people 14 years upwards. That's for anyone who's suffered um, sexual abuse or rape or traumatic childhood abuse, sexual abuse. That all seems, that all sounds really extraordinary and it is not everyday work, it's not easy work. Um, it is nerve-wracking both for the people who are the victims and for you who are helping them. So in the, in the past many, many years that you've been part of this initiative, um, what are the differences that you have seen in, in domestic and sexual violence? How was it before and is it the same now or has it changed some forms? It's an interesting question, Manisa, because I just had someone ask me this today, a journalist, a local journalist who'd been looking at the, um, he'd been looking at the, uh, the, the Garda uh, statistics for domestic abuse. And they've increased right across Cork. The, the incidents, the, the number of call-outs to the guards have increased in every part of Cork in the city, in North Cork and in West Cork. And they asked me, did I think there was more domestic abuse as a result? And I think it's a, what I'm seeing over the last few years is a combination of, of different factors and changes that have taken place. And I think one of the most important changes, which is very positive, is that more people are aware of domestic abuse. That you know, the, the government has had television and media campaigns and newspaper ads, and and people are more aware that it is a serious issue, and that it needs to be dealt with seriously. The guards take it more seriously. Funny from when I started, the guards take it much more seriously. Um, they now have a um, an obligation that they, when someone is called and a guard is called out to a house where there's been a domestic incident, it's called. Um, and say, you know, they're, they're there and it's very much in the, in the midst of the chaos and the emotions and, and the turmoil. Often you'll find that it's, that's not the best time sometimes for a woman mm-hmm. to, to say, um, I, I want to come with you or I want to make a statement. Or she may feel under pressure because the abuser's still in the house to say nothing. So what the guards do on every call is that they will go back the next day. Certainly within, they have to go back to think it's three to seven days. Um, and they will check on that woman and they will make sure and, and see if she's feeling differently, if she'd like to do something about it, if she would like other help. And often here in West Cork, they will give the woman our number here uh, and make sure that she knows that we're here and that we're available to her as well. Um, so that's changed and the understanding that the guards have about domestic abuse has changed. I mean, I can remember when I came here 12 years ago, I was told by one colleague that there, you know, that a woman had presented at the guard station with a black eye uh, and that um, the guard on duty said, what did you do to make him do that to you? Oh. I victim blaming, right? Yeah. You wouldn't get that now. You wouldn't get that now. And, um, and there's, I think there's more 
information. It's also there's more information publicly available about what domestic abuse is and what sexual abuse is. There is more, and I think what the, all of that has done is it started to take the stigma mm. out of domestic abuse for the victim because the victim always felt too ashamed or too afraid of what would be said or how they'd be perceived. And I think that is, it's not gone, don't get me wrong, it's not gone, but it has, little by little, that stigma has started to reduce. And it's the perpetrator, it's the abuser who should be ashamed, who should be stigmatised. And it's starting, just the balance is starting to change a little in that regard as well. And because of that, more people are reporting and looking for support from services like ours. And I think that's the changes that I've seen. I mean, I've seen our statistics. Oh, my gosh. When I first took over, I think we had about, you know, I think 700 or 800 calls in a year. Now we're 2,500, nearly 3,000 calls a year. And that's not necessarily because there is more domestic abuse. It's because people know that what is happening to them is abusive and they've been, you know, they've been encouraged and they're being supported to call it what it is and to do something about it. Definitely awareness is so important in such cases and I'm glad Absolutely. that in the hard work that has been done in so many past years that is now paying back and it in, in a positive way. Um, I'm sure that in the past also the cases were maybe more than what we observe now, but because people were like victims were more ashamed to come forward or there was no proper support, no proper awareness. And as you said, victim shaming, it's and it is like um, as I as I myself, I come from a society where when when domestic violence is present it is always the person who is the victim is blamed and said well you speak too much you speak too loud you might have made him upset you might have made him that and that causes like the person to always think that it is me who is doing something really wrong otherwise the like the the person who is hurting me is 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 very nice and good but it is i am the one at fault so it's very important to have that awareness also um, absolutely yeah absolutely uh, but also that's that's still that still goes on you know you, you know uh, we I mean, we all have you know what's really what's really changed another thing that's really changed when he says that we have we have language for it now as well you know yeah. what you've just described where the, the victim feels that they're to blame because yeah. they're made to feel to blame by by the abuser you know that's gas we call that gaslighting definitely you know, yeah. that's you know when you're made to feel that you're responsible for how they for why they react the way they do um, it's all your fault, you're a bad wife, you're a poor mother, you're a lousy cook, all those things, you know, mm. uh, you, you know that, that, that are said to women to make them feel small, to make them feel um, confident, to make them feel like they, it's, it's their fault. Definitely. And have you seen if the, if the form of domestic violence or the age of domestic violence or sexual violence has changed as well, or is it the same, still the same? Um... Certainly, um, a couple of years ago, very recently, actually, in the last two or three years, the um, the, the, the offence of coercive control mm -hmm. um, was recognised here um, and legislated for and is recognised in the courts. And coercive control was a tough one, but it was actually, it, it was the foundation of what, of what a lot of us in the domestic violence services were seeing, is that most people, Kind of when they think of domestic abuse, domestic violence, they think, oh, he's punching her, he's kicking her, black eyes, broken nose, you know, uh, bruised ribs. Actually, it's not, okay? That certainly goes on. 
but it's not. It's the really insidious uh, emotional abuse, psychological abuse, financial control, sexual coercion um, in a relationship is, is, the, is what does the deepest damage and the damage that is most unseen. And so, for instance, let me give you an example. Uh, so if a woman, like we've had cases where women are not allowed to go out to work because if she goes out to work, then that's, she's seen as being independent. The idea is to keep her absolutely where she need, where you know, in prison, where she can be watched at home. She's not allowed out. There may be, um, she's not allowed to use the car, particularly in a mm. rural area like this. She won't be allowed to use the car. The petrol will be measured. If she's gone further than the local shop or to get or the local supermarket, you know, that will be measured. They'll know that she's gone further than that. Um, they won't have uh, control over any finances in the home. Um, they will be told what they can buy for food. They will be told uh, what food is to be cooked. They will be told how much they can eat. Uh, I've just re uh, recently come across an incident where um, a young woman was told by her partner, she's not even married to, that um, she's not to eat that much and that he's going to watch the food that she eats from now on to make sure that she doesn't eat any more than he wants her to eat. So there's things like that. So that that's the kind of stuff that you know is about. That's coercive control. That's living in a in an emotional um, cell. Like a, you may as well be a prisoner, you know, yeah. uh, because you have you are completely controlled. You are completely confined. Um, and so that has become uh, that has been introduced into law the the, the offensive course of control, and they are really difficult cases. I mean, I I mean, I've known cases where women who were pregnant were locked in the bathroom and not allowed to come out, um, or women who were pregnant who were not allowed to go to the bathroom. Oh my God! Things like that. So uh, so that's 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 one of the things that has become more obvious. People never realise the extent of access, the invisible stuff that goes on behind closed doors. Yeah, definitely. Um, what happened, like, uh, what uh, what pushed your organization to involve men and children over 14 um, as well, part of victims? Yeah, it's an interesting, it's a very new, it's a very new initiative for us. Um, and when we set up the sexual violence service, that actually came about as a result of a piece of research that was done. Okay. Um, actually, two pieces of research that was done here in West Cork that we were involved with, we had commissioned, which was we knew that sexual uh, violence often occurred within domestically abusive relationships, women feeling that they had no control over whether or not they had sex with their partner. They were... You know, they were coerced into having sex. And some were, and, and women were saying things like, I have to do it because if I don't do it, it would be worse if I don't do it. Um, so we knew that, that that happened. But when we did some research, we realized that there, West Cork, where, where I am now in my office in Bantry, is almost two hours' drive to the city. So the nearest um, sexual violence support service would be Cork Sexual Violence Centre, two hours away. Um, and the problem is, it's a long journey. It's a long journey if you've just been traumatized by sexual assault. Uh, it's an even longer journey if you have to do it by public transport because you don't have access to a car. Um, and you don't, and even to know where to go and what to do about it. So all of that was showing up in the research that people weren't 
um, getting the support because A, it was too far away, B, it was very inaccessible, and C, they just didn't know where to go or what to do about it. So that's why we started looking at it. Could we do this? Would this be something that we could do? And we also realized that in the second piece of research that men too have been and, and still are victims of sexual abuse. Now that sexual abuse is most often by other men, obviously mm-hmm. when they were children or in their youth uh, or, or whatever. But so it's, so we thought, well, you know, when you're a victim of sexual abuse, it doesn't really matter what your gender is. The trauma is still there. The trauma is the same for everybody. Um, and also for the, the interesting thing is about the 14 years and upwards, that was the one that made me feel most nervous because we had never directly provided a service for people that young. And as you know yourself, working with young people, it's very specialised and it takes a, a certain amount of expertise. And, um, and you know, there's a language around it. There's a, there's a whole way of, of kind of trying to encourage young people to talk. And... Um, but it was clear, and it has been clear for some time, that there is a lot of um, pornography mm-hmm. through social media. There's a lot of revenge pornography through social media amongst teenagers. There's a lot of non-consensual sex amongst young people. Um, teenagers, in fact, that their knowledge of consent and their knowledge of what is actually sex sometimes is questionable as well. Yeah. So, and you know, the schools have been t- talking about it. Parents have been concerned about it. Different youth organizations have been trying to address it. So we thought that we would try and at least give them a service. Once they're under 14, then it's just let the child and family agency be responsible. But from 14 years upwards, we can provide an independent support service for them as well within the kind of confines of child protection, you know, obligations, etc. But that's that's one of the, the areas that, that is new to us. It's one of the areas. But we are extremely fortunate, Melissa. Um, we got a, 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 a sexual violence worker here who was trained and worked for several years in Dublin New Crisis Centre, and she is a therapist herself. So she's a real expert here, and she's very experienced. So I feel a lot more confident now that we've got someone who really yeah. knows this work and knows this area um, very, very well and can give the kind of response that's ne- needed for whoever you know gets in touch with us. And that is really great, and it is so amazing that you have started this service, because um, I, I uh, after we talked uh, about about this issue yesterday, we were talking about this, and I went online and I was searching about um, like how is how is it possible that the amount of sexual violence and domestic violence between partners or girlfriend boyfriend have increased among youth, and I was shocked to see how many games are out there that are easily available on phones, on computers, on on devices that are just promoting um, violence, they're promoting sexual violence, they're promoting women just as sexual objects, they're, they're promoting um, uh, any type of violence, but especially like the game just starts like a man has hit her, his partner and left her with her baby outside and then her life starts from there and then the teenager or the kid who is playing they have to decide what should she be doing you know and they'll yeah, be getting coins and things like that so that is kind of making it normalized you know it is oh it's okay absolutely and the other and the other thing Manisa, is that is the prevalence and the dominance 
dominance of, of some social influencers who are also who have you know highly misogynistic attitudes towards women. Look at the Andrew Tate phenomenon amongst young boys right across Western Europe actually at this stage. And I mean, he his misogyny is renowned. He is sexually trafficking women. He's uh, got uh, allegations of, of several allegations of rape against mm-hmm. him. And he talks online about women like they are some kind of animal, you know, that he's found in the street. Um, you know, they are to be kind of, you know, they're to be whipped into shape. You know, women are to be whipped into shape. They're only there for his gratification. And they should only be there for any, you know, all males gratification. And young men are listening to this. Young teenage adolescent men are enthralled by this guy. And it's just, his attitude is very prevalent amongst a certain cohort of, of young adolescent men. And needless to say, not only is he misogynistic, he's also homophobic. So God mm-hmm. help the lads that are in any way gay that have and are terrified of coming out to their friends um, in, in their own peer group. So it's, there's, a, there's a, a wave of this. There's a, a, a kind of... Um, core of this that is, is very prevalent at the minute and that's what we've got to try and counteract through education, through awareness, through information given and through and through providing different types of role models, especially mm-hmm. for I think for young men and for young women. Definitely, definitely. And and especially like the beauty industry is also not doing any 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 not showing any kindness or on these, you know, like it's just now the image of a woman they're trying really, really hard. It's just you know, it's it's just boob jobs, ass jobs, and just lip filler. So when you look at a woman, all you can see is just three three things in a woman that are you know just that are like like just like a sex object. You you like they they just want they just want like they just walk in blow up dolls. That's yeah. what they are these days. You know, yeah, and that's definitely. What, and that's what the industry wants, and that's what men like Andrew Tate believe women should be, and it's um. It's very, I think, it's very disappointing, you know, in the sense that, you know, when we see we've come such a long way, you know, in terms of, yeah. of, of equality in so many other respects, and then this kind of attitude starts to, you know, creep into daily life and, and, to, and to enter the culture, it's really, really quite disappointing. Definitely, definitely. It kind of uh, vanishes the idea of uh, of an independent, intelligent uh, woman with ideas is just a woman who should always be available just for one purpose. And if not, then whatever else she says, it is just unimportant and not, 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 not like not good enough to hear to or something, you know. So um, yeah. definitely. So so this is a very, very good service and it is what's much needed at this time. And uh, I think we all of us as you know like like as 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 a nation we should try to be a uh, part of such initiatives and we should try to create awareness as much as we can. So um um what um, have you observed any like any, any effects of the service that you're providing like the people you have helped have you seen the differences the 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 good stories the result of this? Oh yeah, I mean, there's always, you know, there's, that's what keeps you going, Melissa. You know, that's the, that's what you know, kind of affirms you in in the knowledge that what you're you're doing something right. You're doing something that's worthy. That's something that is valuable to women uh, who who need you. And of course, yeah, you know, I'm actually seeing women. Like I know of one woman 
quite a few, ch- several children, you know, in a very abusive relationship, which was very physically abusive as well. Um, and once we'd helped her get out of that relationship and get protection, um, and 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 she came to the support group and she got a lot more confidence and all of that. She decided to go back to college um, because she kind of she dropped, you know, she finished school as early as she could. Started having children very early. She went back to college. She retrained, and now she's working uh, as a manager in an. Uh, she's an office manager now uh, in a full time post. Yeah, and has done exceptionally well. We've got another woman who we. Um, yeah, I mean we've had. I mean, I suppose the age range is just, it starts from like 20 right through to, like, I think the oldest woman we've ever had is about 76. Um, and I think it is harder for older women to make a to make a change. But then sometimes there's like a little light bulb that goes on where I think as they do get older, they'll say like, you know, I've only got a few years left. Dear God, let me try and live it without living in fear, you know, and... Um, and I think, and so we get that, we get that. I know one woman who is very dear to our hearts in here, yeah, and um, she left a relationship, at, you know, a 35-year relationship. Um, she came to us and we put her in the safe house. And in the safe house, she had time to think. And I and she'd explain maybe a little bit about the difference between a safe house and a refuge. A refuge is 24-7, and it, it's staffed 24-7. Um, and it tends to be for women who are very high risk uh, in the sense that their their abusers, you know, will pursue them. So they need to go somewhere that is very confidential, that is very hidden, and it's usually quite a bit away from where they normally live. Um, uh, a safe house is slightly different. A safe house is not staffed. Um, it is a confidential place uh, in terms of where it is, but it is just a small house. It might look like a very ordinary house on a very ordinary street. Um, and the idea is that so it's for women who maybe not so much high risk, but low to what we call low to medium risk. They mm. need to get away. They need to be able to just be somewhere they feel safe, where their their every day is not being patrolled or controlled, and they can start to think for themselves, and they can get their children out of the, the situation that they're living in, and they have time to think about what do I want to do with my life. How do I want to approach this? How do I change this? And we will provide a worker who will go and see them maybe once a week, twice, two or three times a month, and talk to them about a car plan. What would you like to do? You know, how do you how do you want to proceed from here? Because the decision has to be theirs. We don't tell them what to do. Because it's really important for women who are being controlled all the time to actually, for the first time, have some control over their own lives and their own decisions. So that's absolutely key to their empowerment. And uh, so Safe House is somewhere where really they can just relax for a little way, chill out, not have to keep looking over their shoulder, not worry about who's coming, him coming home from what and through the door or whatever and what kind of mood he's going to be in. But they can chill out, they can cook whatever they want, they can feed the children, you know, whenever they want. Um, and they can have a think about what they want to do and they can feel safe for a little way and start to think about themselves and about their children and not have to worry about what's going to happen next when he comes home. So it's, it's it can be like that. It can also be for women who are, uh, they have left, 
uh, but there's nowhere else to go. And if the safe house is free, because we only do have the one safe house, um, you know, and there may already be somebody there. If there isn't, then hopefully we can get them somewhere safe to stay for a little while anyway. And um, so that safe house is a really important, it's a really important project for us because we only started to be able to offer that two or three years ago. Um, and we knew that there was a need for it big time in West Cork because the refuge um, for Cork, there's one refuge for Cork, it's in the city, um, mm -hmm. and it only takes six, it only has enough space for six families. This is in the biggest county in Ireland. Now, all that is about to change. Finally, the new, uh, our new Minister for Justice has, she's prioritised um, the building of refuges, um, and Cork is about to get a much bigger refuge. It's also going to get a refuge in North Cork, and I'm delighted to say it's going to get a refuge in West Cork as well. So those things, it's going to increase the supports and the services that will be available for the women and children that we work with. That that is amazing because uh, the the refuge that is present right now is not enough, um, especially seeing the number of cases that are increasing in the number of reports that you are getting. So definitely that is not enough, and it and and it doesn't meet the challenges that you see. Are there any any like um, because I'm not very much aware of the law around it. Are there any punishments for the for the for the people who are causing this much harm and trauma to others? Oh God, Melissa! I wish. <laughs> um, all there, what there is at the moment is we have um, safety orders or protection orders. So the the that's a a, a temporary measure. It, it, when it, when if 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 there's abuse going on at home, a woman can get either a safety or protection order. One's temporary, one's more one's more long lasting, and um, that's where she's going to stay in the home with her children, and it's to prevent him from making any further threats of violence or attacks or anything that would um, intimidate um, his partner, okay? Yep. And if he does do something while that order is on him, then he can be brought to court court for what they for called a breach of the order. Now, the problem here is that I know, our experience here is that I've, we've seen men breach these orders umpteen times. Um, I mean, I've seen a guy, there was a guy who went to, a, a client of ours who went to court there recently for the fourth breach, for four breaches of the order, you know. Uh, this is the, the third time that he's had four breaches of the order and he finally went to jail for six months. But it takes a lot before a judge will put them in jail. Um, hmm. So then there's the a barring order and a barring order is, it's probably even it's probably the most severe of it all. Um, a barring order means that the abuser has to leave the family home mm -hmm. and must not be within a certain you know must not come near, must not um, harass, must not stalk, must not um, in any way try to interfere with the life of the the mother and the children. So, for instance, and so if he wants to see his children, he has to go to court for an access order to be able to see his children. So he can't just rock up to the school and say, oh, I'm Mary's daddy and I'm here to take her home. He can't do that anymore unless there's permission from the court to do that or there's an access order. Um, but he can't go near the family home unless the court says that, say, for instance, if he is going to pick up his children for to see them for the day, he has to go at a certain time. 
He may, uh, he must arrive at a certain time, he must bring the children back at a certain time. Apart from that, he's not allowed to go into the family home. Um, and, you know, it's very hard to get a barring order. It takes a lot to get a barring order, just in terms of fulfilling the criteria for the court. And I'd like to see a lot more of them because, Manisa, if there was barring orders, we wouldn't have so many women and children homeless from domestic violence. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They're having to leave home in order to stay safe. Whereas if there was more barring orders given out, then the abuser would have to leave and the mother and the children would at least be in a home with a roof over their head. It's yeah. not easy. I mean, the courts, I think certainly we are, we have the best minister for, for justice in terms of domestic and sexual violence understanding. This is the best I've ever seen. Minister Helen McEntee is certainly taking this very seriously and she is dedicated to improving the situation for victims. Um, but the courts need a really good shake-up. They still need a good... They're, they're still very much, you know, kind of entrenched in a, in, a, in a particular way of thinking, in a particular way of working. It's very bureaucratic. It's not victim-centred. Um, it doesn't always understand trauma. In fact, it rarely... The courts rarely understand trauma. Um, and and so there's, there's a lot of work to be done at that, at the judicial end of things. Definitely, there needs to be loads of changes in laws and, and the punishments because the more severe the punishments are, we will be seeing less of these cases because people will be, you know, thinking twice before committing such a crime if the punishment is more severe. Yes, so there's a deterrent. It's a deterrent. And, it should, you know, it should be used more often or it should be reconsidered as the hard best to make abusers, you know, to, to make abusers think twice before they, because I've seen it as well all, all too often, and, and I know judges have seen it, and so have the guards. There are a lot of abusers out there who think that the law doesn't apply to them. Even mm. in the courtroom, they don't think the law applies. There's an arrogance and a sense of an entitlement. How dare you come between me and my wife and my children? They belong to me, you know? Mm. Uh, you see it quite a lot, actually. That is heartbreaking, and your your job and and the job of your team must be so so difficult because you see trauma of other people every day. How do you and your team deal with all that trauma, and how do you keep yourself safe from you know like all that pain that you're observing on daily basis and trying to solve? Well, um, first of all, the team is absolutely brilliant at what they do. They're highly experienced. They're very expert. Um, and they, they've been doing the job for a very long time. Um, and, I, I mean, really, their, their skill set is, is, is unbelievable. But also, the, there's been a lot of training done amongst the staff here in trauma mm-hmm. and to, under, to better understand trauma. So we're always looking for more advanced training, more information on trauma so that we can, first of all, that we can understand what trauma does to victims, and secondly, that we're also looking at the, the, the traumatic impact in terms of, as a workforce, uh, on, on that. Um, all of my staff, all of my support staff, um, have, they all see counsellors once a month, they, they have, and that's part of what we provide as an employer, because what they're seeing, sometimes they just need to unload that somewhere else uh, with a counsellor. So it's not, it's not like... Um, you know, there'd be supervision, you know, in terms of management, in terms of, you know, here's your workload for the day, how are you dealing with that, how's it going? Yeah. This is once a month they have 
a set time that they go, it's paid for by the service here, um, and they see a counsellor themselves once a month, just to have a safe space uh, and somewhere they can unload some of their own emotional responses to what's going on. So that's really quite important. It's really very, very important. Um, and I would, ha- I would ha- see an external counsellor as well. I've just recently started to do that. But for me, it's always been about, like, we do all of us get, I suppose all of us, we get a real lift out of seeing women really kind of coming into their own and into their own power. That is, there's nothing, there's nothing that surpasses that, you know, yeah. that like seeing a woman who's been a victim come into her own power and to be able to kind of continue with the life that she wants to lead with her children safely that's there's nothing beats it really nothing beats it um but also like for me what i do is i, I bird watch i'm a bird watcher <laughs> that that's amazing <laughs> and i love watching it makes me feel so calm and seriously i love i love getting out on, on a maybe a weekend or on a day off and just going out with a pair of binoculars and like it's west Cork. it's beautiful you know and the opportunities for bird watching are really good, but I just find it really, even if it's just sitting watching the birds in my garden on the feeders, I find it really, really calming. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. So, 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 so that, that's a really good way to keep keep yourself calm and heal with all that. Yeah. That's perfect. That's perfect. Now, um, the last question, because we're really running out of the time, and that's like, um, this is a job that all of us should be doing. Any and like any way that is possible, we all should be paying our part to the society in helping those in need. So, how can we, as society, help you? How, how can we contribute in your cause um, in helping others? Some very practical things. If you know of anyone who is living with abuse, right? Um, the most important thing you can do is listen without judgment. If they decide to talk to you. If, if they haven't spoken to you about it, then you then please try and find a way, a sensitive way, to let them know that you are available and that you will that you will be there for them, whatever they need. Let them know that. And then, secondly, if they do talk, make sure that they get the information about whatever is the nearest domestic violence support service to them, because the most important thing that people can do is to make it easier for those that are being abused, that are victims, to talk about that abuse and to get the help that they need. So make it easy for them to talk to you. Let them know that you're willing to support them, whatever they need. Uh, and it can be very hard. Don't get me wrong. It's very hard sometimes to support someone you know is in an abusive relationship because you know that statistics show that there, you know, there can be up to 35 incidents of domestic abuse before a woman takes action, before she does anything. So it's very hard to watch someone you love or care about be in an abusive relationship and continue to be in an abusive relationship. And and the, the I suppose the, the impetus would be that, oh, it's just to say, oh, come on, Mary, you need to, come on, you need to do something now, come on me, we need to, you need to get away, come on me, get in the car now. That's not what they need to hear. What they need to hear is, look, Mary, whenever you're ready, I'm here for you. If you want to talk about it, that I'm here for you. If you don't want to talk about it, but you do want to talk to someone else about it, I will get you the help that you need whenever you need it. That's what you need to do. And it's sometimes hard to watch people that you love in very challenging, difficult, and possibly violent situations. But it's that's it, it's holding that discipline not to make judgments and not to make decisions for them. Let them make their own decisions when they're ready. 
Thank you so much, Marie. Thank you so much for being with us on the show. Um, um, it's 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 a privilege it's a privilege for me to have you on the show, and we have discussed um, such an important topic. It is a much needed topic. It is something that um, we all have seen, we have observed either in our homes or in somebody else's home, and it is something uh -huh. which is very very important to be reported to get help with. And especially as a woman or man or, or a young person to leave your abuser, get muster up that courage and start a new life. It is really, really important. And now mm, that you have come on our show, uh, they know that there are places like that available. There is help. So thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Thank you, Manisa. Thank you for having me. Manisa, can I just give out the phone number for our service? Yes, definitely, please listening. do. Definitely, yeah, and please. It doesn't matter if they're not in West Court. If they want to ring here, uh, we can always put them in touch with a service that's nearer to them. But our number here is 027-53847. And we're open Monday to Friday, 9 to 5. There'll always be somebody to talk to. 027-53847. And if they want to search online to find you, uh, is there a website? Yes, there is. And the website is probably going to change its name soon. But at the moment, it's www.westcorkwomensproject.ie, www.westcorkwomensproject.ie. And we're also on Facebook as well as West Cork Women Against Violence, um, now known as West Cork Beacon. We've just li literally changed our names recently, our name recently because it's easier. Say West Cork Beacon. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also, we want to importantly want to change the name because Beacon is an important because there's a a, a Beacon a, a Baltimore Beacon here in West Cork, and Beacon is something that throws out light in the darkness Definitely. and shows people the way. And so we thought, yeah, that's a good name for us. That's what we do. <laughs> Definitely, that is actually what you're doing, and you have uh, shown light on so many like sh shown sh shown light to so many people. And they have started their new lives. And those amazing success stories are actually something I think to really be proud of. And I hope that there will be more awareness around this topic. And hopefully in the coming future, we will see less domestic violence, less sexual violence, more understanding, more accepting each other. And, you know, more awareness yes, about... With you on that one, Melissa. Definitely with you on that one. <laughs> thank you so much marie so and and if anybody um was not able to catch the number or the or the address you can always write to us and e email us to radio ucc and we will get you in touch and send you the links or the numbers of the required um required resources that is related to west Cork beacon thank you so 